This is Jeff Chrisman, and I'm here again at the Art Hall. We're uh, continuing our conversation with Carrie Shadid. Carrie, thanks again for, yeah. uh, for being here today. Thank you so much. I'm happy to still be here. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I thought uh, as we continue, if we could hear a little bit about your just your life journey overall and anything that you might want to share as far as how you, you know, what possibly inspired you or motivated you to, uh, to do the work that you're doing. And, absolutely. Yeah. Any yeah. lessons learned along the way? Right. <laughs> so I, I mentioned this, and um, you know, coming in, I I told you I had a very roundabout path to doing poetry and art. I basically did not do poetry and art until I was doing them professionally. Hmm. <laughs> so, although I always say that, and in seventh grade, I I should back check this. Pretty sure I won the statewide poetry contest seventh grade. So maybe there was always a poet in me, but I just did because it was an assignment and I love doing assignments and doing well on them. (laughs) So so I never thought, I didn't really sit at home and do any kind of, any kind of fiction writing or poetry or I certainly not drawing. I would like to know how to draw better now even Um, because I, I'm not, as I mentioned, a technically skilled artist. Um, so my background would be that I I started out, I mean, I wanted to be many different things growing up, but usually all pertaining to kind of like I mentioned, being a critic versus a creator. Uh, so I was interested for a while. I wanted to be an architectural historian. Um, and then I guess still in high school, I probably decided I wanted to be the Secretary General of the United Nations. <laughs> Which is a, an impossible gig to get as an American, fair enough. You know, <laughs> like the whole point is kind of to counterbalance uh, US power. But um, anyway, going into, so I love the humanities, um, I loved international relations. I did my undergrad at the University of Oklahoma in letters and political science, dual degrees, and then I minored in French and economics. So I kind of had a smorgasbord of things I was studying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but my focus was was strongly in history and then international relations. Um, and I was going to mention, uh, we sort of talked about this earlier. So saying this, I'm implying that I had no interest in art or poetry, which was certainly not the case. Because, for example, I... Did a Ewing um, internship through OU in Washington D.C., where I got to spend the whole summer as a congressional intern, and I mean I enjoyed it, but I spent all of my time at the Smithsonian Art Museums. I mean all of it. Oh, I didn't wow. really, I wasn't actually that interested in the politics. I I liked international relations, but otherwise politics itself per se, I don't really enjoy. Um, but I loved being around all that art and I've always studied art um either by going to galleries I mean it just kind of seeped into me and I would have these artists that I would love and I would see and notice things um and it was just kind of the happy place for me to be at so visual art was strongly I guess embedded in me and I didn't mention this but growing up I was very involved in dance So that's sort of the, I guess, performance artistic expression that I had as a young adult. And I danced when I was a child with a group called Theater Upon a Stardance Swan. I actually still dance with now. They're in the Paseo. And we used to do creative writing as part of our dance process. 
So that had, and then of course the music, and it was all interdisciplinary, but it was so creative. Um, and so I, I bet that influenced my writing as an adult, like to turn toward writing. But uh, so I did that. I, I talked a little bit about how I did a Fulbright in international relations. Um, so I was, I was doing this program. Basically, I started focusing a lot on like genocide and peace enforcement issues at OU, and then I continued that on in my Fulbright at McGill University. And man, it was sad. Mm. You know, it was, it was really dark and bleak. And I thought, I, so I came to this realization. I mentioned I wanted to work for the United Nations for a while. Well, talk about an exercise in frustration and futility. I mean, I just thought, I can't imagine wanting to do all these things you know you want to do and then not having the resources to do them or the political support. I mean, gosh. That would be a headache. And also, I was looking, learning more about unintended consequences of, you know, anytime, anytime anyone goes to help another country, something's going to happen. It's, uh, yeah. So there's, there's a lot that can go wrong. And then I knew I did not have the constitution to go work in a war zone um, as part of an NGO. You know, that just was never going to happen. <laughs> that, that's not who I wasn't. And so that kind of left me with studying these issues, you know, doing a PhD and teaching. And, and I thought, yeah, I could do that. But then at some point I thought, do I really want to study genocide for my whole life? Because, mm. I mean, it's hard. I, I would cry. <laughs> I'd be crying doing my work. And, um, and I... This actually makes me think of something. So I wrote um, an opinion column at the University of Oklahoma for a little bit. And my very first article was on genocide. Because as I mentioned, I was a very serious person. <laughs> and um, the editor at the time said something to me like, you know, maybe if you made this a little funnier or lighter. And at, at the time I was like, you want to make genocide funny? <laughs> I mean, I was just so shocked. And I didn't even know what to do with that. And now I would say the same thing. Not that it's funny. I don't by any means mean to. Um, anyway, genocide is a horrible thing. And I still don't think there's a way to actually make it ever funny. But you can find a, a light, lighter way to approach the worst things. And usually it's on the human level, you know, yeah. right? So it's not on the political level. It's on the... Um, Oh, they've done some really cool, uh, like, art programs in Rwanda post-genocide um, and and sharing your stories. And I saw, also when I was in D.C., I saw a great documentary about this camp that I think was called Seeds of Peace. Um, and it's, like, a summer camp where they get kids from, like, Palestine and Israel or India and Pakistan and to come together and they play, right? Oh. I mean, you know, like that's what you do at camp. Yeah. So you go to summer camp and can this resolve conflict? I mean, maybe it can actually, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I did a program like this as a very young child, people to people, student ambassadors, where we just went, I went to Australia, New Zealand one year and then China another year. And that's the idea. You know, you just go and... We, well, we didn't play that much. I'll go back to the camp analogy. 
But I think we would be amazed, especially when you're starting young and you want to play anyway and you say like, oh, I can play with this person. If we could keep that sense of joy and playfulness as we approach the bigger issues, like, okay, so how do we share limited water resources or how do we share... Uh, make food on limited land or um, recognition or military. Can we approach that in a playful way like we would just playing in a camp? Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there are always more other ways to approach anything. Right? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I realize you know, some of this stuff is so, it's so heavy, isn't it? It's and, so heavy. Yeah. and it's so easy to get caught up in being the people that are struggling against whatever it is they're struggling mm-hmm. against or whatever the conflict is. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, do you have yeah, I was, th- I was thinking as far as uh, it, it may be taking the long view, just, you know, how you feel like your, you know, your, your artwork uh, or your work has evolved, you know, since that time. Yeah. I mean, just maybe the look, kind of taking the long view of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, that's, I guess I kind of mentioned this in the first part a lot about moving from seriousness to playfulness, both in my writing and visual art. Um, and one of the, so my latest project, I'm kind of branding myself, you know, what I do under the title Manatee Sloth. Hmm. And then the tagline, live slowly, live playfully, live oddly. And so that to me, you know, kind of captures my approach, right? It's called Manatee Sloth because they're adorable animals and I like them on the surface level. And I think that's a fair enough reason to pick a brand just because it brings you pleasure. And who can't, who doesn't just smile watching those baby sloth videos, you know, or see a a manatee floating along and think, oh my goodness, isn't, isn't life amazing? (laughs) So, but... Under the surface, you know, living slowly. So, of course, they move slowly. They're kind of, sloths are kind of known for that. Um, and if we move slowly through life, how different would our lives be and our interactions with people and our feeling of well-being, you know, just to slow down. I mean, just that. And yeah. then, like, you think about... Li- living oddly, of course, they're very strange animals. Both of them are very strange animals. Um, and celebrating that, that kind of, the odd aspects of us, and then, of course, living playfully. I've talked a lot about that, but I just think we would change, because I've had this conversation with my father, who sometimes, I think, would like for me to be a bit more, um, I guess, have more of a goal of being a social critic or, you know, causing upheaval, which sometimes I think I'm kind of an iconoclast, but in a very sweet way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I said, imagine how much different your life would be if you were filled with joy most of the time. And then imagine how much different the lives of everyone you interact with would be if you were filled with joy most of the time. Yes. You know? Yes. And then all the people they interact with, I, I think it can have a huge impact. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's kind of how I um, got into that. 
It's very interesting, yeah. and I and, and and yet it you know it gets me thinking you know just the importance of that that you know mm-hmm. the. Sometimes we're, you know, we, we think that we have to do, you know, we, it's like we think we have to do a certain thing to change the world, right. and yet there are some of these very, right. like you were talking about, some of these very simple things that can really make a difference, and then that spreads from one person to another, Absolutely. and it, just, it really has a ripple effect. Yeah. And, you know, the surreal, and if you do want to be an iconoclast about it, <laughs> heck, that's what the surrealists were all about, basically, right? Yeah. Because they created these games, you mm-hmm. know, they were playing, and they did it to subvert the standard way of thinking. They were subversive, you yeah. know? I, I mean, this piece one time that said, play <laughs> subversion. Because it does. Yeah. I mean, just imagine some of the issues we're dealing with now polit- politically or whatnot if people just went in and um, were playful and sweet and whimsical. And that would completely change the dialogue. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It would almost be kind of like, you know, just having a different consciousness almost, yeah. you know, a different concept mm-hmm. of who they are and what they're supposed to be yeah. doing and, mm-hmm. you know, and just coming from a genuine place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I like the surrealists. Of course, they were very serious about their life. <laughs> 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 they maybe took it a little too seriously. But, um, oh, I was, so I, uh, I don't know if we want to talk about I don't exactly, I wouldn't say I have artistic influences, because as I mentioned, I do the form of art I know how to do, (laughs) so I kind of, I'm not sure, I don't actually know of anyone doing marbling, doing the things with marbling exactly that I'm doing, and I don't know a whole lot about, you know, marbling has traditionally been used in bookbinding and whatnot, but as far as artists that, I guess, inspire me, so one would be because um, being in the surrealist, well, in abstract surrealist. So I really love Arshal Gorky. Hmm. And I was thinking about this because he has a, are you familiar with his work? It's Somewhat. very, um, so it's what would kind of fall under abstract surrealism. And so he came out of the surrealist, but then, of course, sort of joined Abex. And uh, there are these really, I mean, I love them. And they're these funny shapes. And color, bright colors, you know, and just very curvy and little odd little things. And, you know, he fleed the Armenian genocide as a child. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he came out of of actually experiencing genocide. And his early, he did, you know, he has these real early portraits, of course, and they look so bleak and they're pretty dark. And he could have done that his whole life. Oh, And it would have been valuable. You know, he could have depicted the story of people suffering the Armenian genocide. He was very young. I don't remember how old. But, of course, it must have had a huge impact on him. You know, I think at any age, if you flee genocide. So that could have been his life work. And um, it would have been respected and valuable uh, to show the hardship. Because we need that. We do need to understand how hard life can be for people and why in the world anyone would want to make it harder is beyond me. You know, I thought I don't understand war for that very reason. Like, life is hard enough. Oh, why, yeah. why do you want to cause yourself more problems? I just don't understand. Yeah. But so he could have documented that beautifully. But then instead he does these abstract surreal pieces, you know. And that's just an interesting thing to think about to me. Like... 
you know, there's value in that. And they have so much energy. I think his story, you know, your story, it doesn't negate your story for you to not tell it verbatim. Right. Right. right yeah. You know, and, and so all of my international relations training or philosophy, I did tons of philosophy and, you know, it, not like I threw it away, yeah. or you know, my master's from New York University because I'm not doing anything with it. It influences my story. I just tell my story in an unexpected way, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, kind of the same with with Arshal Gorky. You know, he's telling his story in a very different way. That I think the power is all still there, but maybe it is more accessible because, in a way, it's beautiful. Maybe beauty does allow people to feel that pain and trauma in a way that they can better synthesize and and respect and understand. Yeah. Makes so much sense. It really yeah. does. Yeah. And then my other favorite artists, uh, especially when I was younger, when I was in college, I remember talking to, I took, or actually I was working at OU and I could take classes because of course I'm going to take classes if I'm there. I, <laughs> I just spent all that time saying how much I loved school. <laughs> um, and so I was taking art history classes. Again, with no idea that I would ever create art, but I just loved art. And um, I've always loved Raoul Dufy. He uh, is a fathist, but, you know, I mean, not highly respected as an artist. And I remember talking to my professor, who also loved Dufy, um, and he was like, you know, they kind of maligned him as a decorative painter. Like, this is like a bad thing, right? <laughs> And he uses these bright colors. I mean, I love his colors and these really sketchy kind of lines. And um, I I just love his work. And it's like, well, I mean, that's kind of what I do now. I'll say, you know, I'm not an artist artist. (laughs) You know, I don't. No, I I love artists. I love the art they make. And I love seeing technical skill. But that's not what I do. I'm more decorative, you know, I mentioned I would like to decorate children's rooms with my art or, you know, just have people hang it up and be happy. But if you have these things and and they make you smile, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good, good role to to have. And I mean, plenty of people still respect Doofy and like him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And as far as just looking to the future, I didn't know if there's anything that you wanted to share with listeners as far as anything you have coming up in terms of uh, any, any programs or future developments. <clears throat> well, I'm definitely planning to do more and more poetry stand around. Uh, I kind of took a little bit of a break. I've been doing it now over four years, uh, and I've fluctuated with how often I do it. But I want to be out more with Poetry Stand, hopefully have a book out soon of poems. Um, working on the Manti Sloth thing. One of my life goals is actually to write self-help books. Oh, wow. So, um, and, and kind of interactive, you know, maybe illustrated ones. Uh, this is not anytime soon in the works. <laughs> but that's just kind of, um, yes, a long-term goal would be to do that. Because I personally love self-help books, and I think it's, nice to uh we were talking during the break about you know talking about living a certain way versus living a certain yeah, way yeah. <laughs> so you definitely want to live a certain way right but for me to kind of 
re, you know, talk about living a certain oh, way, yeah. kind of re-reminds you how to live that way. Oh, so yeah. I, I actually am a big fan of the self-help genre. Yeah. Well, and I think it really does help, too, because I think we have to have some you know, direction as far as, you know, other people have traveled this path. Mm -hmm. And so by learning, I, I mean, I do think that's, that I love the concept of that as far as other people have traveled that path yeah. and they're sharing with others, you yeah. know, what they have learned along the way yeah. or what they've, instead of us trying to learn, you know, I realize we could learn all these things the hard way mm -hmm. and make all these mistakes, which I guess as humans, we still will. Yeah. But I think that, if, yeah, if we can actually learn from what, you know, the wisdom that people have shared, I think that's very, very beneficial. And then to pay that yes. forward. And then to be willing to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, just keep doing my my little things like uh, my absurd questionnaire card game set, which is a bunch of absurd questions, and you can play with your friends. You know, I'd like to have some of that out and about more. And yeah, um, yeah, just getting more things out there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Help, helping people live in the moment and, and, yeah. and helping people have some joy in their lives yeah, and just relax right. and laugh a little life. bit at themselves and, right. you know, at their I mean, it's and, only life, right? right? I mean, it's not like we, we just had the one, but right. don't worry about it. Or maybe we don't have the one, but don't, you'll never right. know. So just... <laughs> Loosen up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is very, very good advice. Except when you should be serious. Right. I don't right. mean to demean the times that are. Right. That do require seriousness. And, um, I, I mean, yeah. I guess yeah. finding that balance, right, in all things. Absolutely. I, I like that. I like that. Finding the balance. There yeah. you go. There you go. Well, thanks again, Carrie. This yeah. has been fantastic. Thank very enlightening. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Certainly. Thank you again for having me. You bet.